These interviews and pieces of evidence reveal a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Governor Cuomo sexually harassed current and former state employees in violation of both federal and state laws. I want you to know directly from me that I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. That is just not who I am. And that's not who I have ever been. Hello and welcome to the 538 Politics Podcast. I'm Galen Druk. Just last year, at the height of the pandemic, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was one of the most powerful and popular governors in the country. His approval rating on the pandemic amongst New Yorkers approached 90%. Now he's facing overwhelming pressure to resign after a report from the New York Attorney General concluded that he sexually harassed 11 women, most of them government workers, and broke state and federal law in doing so. The calls to resign have come from every single member of the New York delegation in Congress, top Democrats such as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and even President Joe Biden. Cuomo so far has resisted the pressure. He released a video statement on Tuesday saying that he, quote, never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. Even if he doesn't resign, Cuomo could be removed through impeachment and conviction in the state legislature. And when it comes to how voters are reacting, we've got some preliminary data suggesting that a majority may want him to resign. Again, that's preliminary data. Here with me to discuss where things stand and what might happen next, our politics editor, Sarah Frostenson. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Galen. And also here with us is elections analyst, Nathaniel Rakich. Hey, Nathaniel. Hey, Galen. And as you can tell, listeners, our second podcast this week is out a bit early. Maybe call it a semi-emergency podcast. I mentioned the top-line conclusion of the New York Attorney General's report. It was 165 pages in total. What other details jumped out at you, Sarah? The report was really exhaustive, Galen. Investigators questioned 179 witnesses, and there were thousands and thousands of pieces of evidence. And while much of the report dealt with previously known allegations from women who had already stepped forward, there was at least one new allegation from a woman who had been a part of Cuomo's security detail in 2017. She said that Cuomo touched her inappropriately, running a finger down her spine in the elevator, saying, hey, you. Another time, he ran his hand across her stomach. He also just asked wildly unprofessional questions, often of a sexual nature. I think, though, the most devastating aspect of this report was the extent to which Cuomo and his top aides built a culture of fear and retaliation. That was a conclusion from the report. In fact, the report said that to be a woman in Cuomo's world was to exist in the dichotomy between fear and flirtation. And then it meticulously detailed how Cuomo often used that space to toggle between being intimate and being intimidating, with his most senior aides more focused on protecting his reputation and personal comfort than handling any accusation of misconduct. You know, they found that there was a campaign of retaliation against the first woman who stepped forward to accuse Cuomo of sexual misconduct, Lindsay Bolin. And notably, while the AG did not refer Cuomo for criminal prosecution, the local authorities in Albany have decided to launch a criminal investigation, as they say that the report shows that the governor violated state and federal law by sexually harassing his employees. So there's a lot there. I think really the takeaway from this is just the breadth of the scope of the allegations and how it reflects a toxic culture. 
so far, Cuomo has not resigned. What is his argument for staying in office? Well, he released this, frankly, bizarre video statement um, yesterday where he said, basically, you know, this is who I am. I am friendly with people. He had a video montage or a photo montage of him kissing all sorts of politicians and people of different ages and genders and things like that, apparently in an argument to say that this is normal. Um, but of course, first of all, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is normal just because he does it a lot doesn't necessarily mean it's acceptable behavior and also of course he really completely ignored a lot of the most serious allegations from the report he also at the end of the statement kind of pivoted to covid which is an area that he still gets high marks on even though he's actually also facing this kind of twin scandal of um, covering up deaths at New York nursing homes. He's still under investigation for that. So it was frankly not a very coherent defense from Cuomo, but uh, in many ways, it, it is hard to defend what was in the report. Yeah. And I think as Nathaniel said, you know, so far he's kind of been characteristically defiant. You know, Cuomo is a brash politician who speaks his mind, right? So he's trying to downplay the severity of what's happened. One thing I would add is I think another line of attack we've seen from Cuomo is that the report itself is politically motivated. He's charging that James wants to run for governor. You know, the irony of this, though, of course, is that what he is charging James with having done, you know, a politically motivated report is something he himself faced as a charge when he was AG under governors Elliot Spitzer and David Patterson. Interesting. Yeah. And he's also, well, in the past, brought up cancel culture and essentially saying that the politicians are after him, but that he still enjoys support from New Yorkers, which had been true up until now. Do we have any better data on that now that this report has come out? Yeah. So as you mentioned, Galen, even throughout February and March, when these allegations really started to roll in, um, the one kind of saving grace that Cuomo could point to was that the New York general public remained relatively faithful to him. Um, people generally didn't want him to resign. The most recent poll from late June found that only 23% of uh, New York voters wanted him to resign immediately. And this isn't even because like it was June and it had been several months since the allegations, even kind of in the thick of it in March, a poll, and both of these polls are from Siena College, by the way, um, even in the thick of it in March, New Yorkers had said 50% to 35% that he shouldn't resign. So he maintained a lot of kind of popularity among people who generally seemed to prioritize, uh, again, kind of his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has been seen as successful over these scandals and allegations. However, uh, impressively, Marist College actually conducted an entire poll last night um, after the allegations had happened and also after um, President Biden notably called on Cuomo to resign. He was kind of the main Democrat who had withheld judgment. Um, most people had already called on on Cuomo to resign. But Marist found that now 59% of New Yorkers believe that Cuomo should resign, um, which is obviously a huge increase, um, something we definitely want to wait for more data on. But that really could be the canary in the coal mine for Cuomo. Yeah. And in that same Marist poll that Nathaniel's citing, you know, 59% said, well, okay, if he doesn't resign, then the New York state legislature should impeach him. I do think, though, you know, from those June polls Nathaniel was talking about, one interesting thing that stood out to me was that a plurality of voters had expected that this report would 
uncover evidence that Cuomo had committed sexual harassment. Yet at the time, only 23% actually wanted him to resign. Now, as Nathaniel pointed out, like we have seen a title shift with this Marist poll. It's only one poll. And I am curious, you know, scandals have a long shelf life. Does that change at all as, you know, either Cuomo mounts more of a defense or maybe more calls for his resignation, talks of the impeachment process in the assembly start, you know, how will that change voters' dynamics? How much support is there amongst rank and file Democrats in the state legislature to actually, you know, impeach and convict if Cuomo doesn't resign? So Jeff Colton, who's a reporter at City and State New York, um, has actually has a Google spreadsheet tracking uh, how many New York politicians, including state senators and state assembly members, support Cuomo's resignation or his impeachment. And um, as of this recording, which is around 11 a.m. on Wednesday, Jeff had tracked exactly half of the assembly uh, being in support of impeachment. Um, And that is um, what basically what would be necessary. I mean, it would be a majority. So impeachment in New York works uh, very similarly to how it works on the federal level. So impeachment starts in the assembly, which is basically the equivalent of the House of Representatives. It only takes a majority in order to um, basically indict the person being impeached. And then the uh, trial would go to the Senate. In New York, there's actually it's actually the state Senate plus um, kind of a panel of judges make up the I believe it's 67 person jury for the trial. And then again, that jury would need two thirds in order to convict the same way that the US Senate does. In the Senate, um, Jeff Colton has only tracked 57% of state senators so far saying they support impeachment. But both of these numbers have increased substantially since yesterday. So it kind of looks like the writing is on the wall. It looks like only a couple of more members in each chamber would need to come out in favor of impeachment for the numbers to be there. Right. And I think on that note, too, you know, both the state assembly speaker and then the state Senate majority leader have both publicly said that they are willing to push forward impeachment and that, you know, there's not a majority of support for Cuomo. So I think even if like the numbers right now don't reflect the full spread of support um, for impeachment for Cuomo, considering the report just dropped yesterday. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if impeachment does go forward, could this be the thing that finally gets Cuomo to resign? Because we've seen him resist that time and time again, you know, pointing to how he still has the support of a plurality of New Yorkers. That doesn't seem to be true anymore. Um, He's also kind of got his reputation to consider. I think up to this point, resignation, he, you know, understandably has seen that, you know, when somebody resigns, that becomes their legacy. Whereas, now, people who haven't resigned, uh, kind of most famously Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, who faced a blackface scandal and his popularity has recovered after he refused to resign. You know, Cuomo might be looking at somebody like that and saying, you know, I can tough this out. But when it comes down to impeachment and if it looks like he's going to be removed and a New York governor hasn't been removed from office, I think, in more than 100 years. Um, so that would really be a reputation and legacy killer, I think. Um, so at that point, if it does look like those numbers are there, I wonder if uh, he could resign. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point, Nathaniel, because it's like, yes, you know, resigning tarnishes Cuomo's reputation, but impeachment arguably would be far worse, just given the dynamics of how, you know, heavily democratic New York is, it would be such a rebuke from his party. I mean, at this point, I obviously, this is an unfair question, because you aren't inside Cuomo's head. But what is he waiting for? I mean, is he kind of waiting for more polling in the way that we would at 538 to see where the public truly stands. Like, what is happening right now? 
I mean, my guess is that he's not waiting, is that he's probably working the phones. You know, this is a governor who really had a very tight grip on state politics for for many, many years. Um, He's got lots of allies uh, in both parties. And, um, you know, my guess is that he's trying to pull in favors, um, you know, and try to kind of whip the vote in the assembly against him. And then I do think that if he's able to make impeachment not have the votes, um, then he can probably continue to 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 not resign and and serve out his term at least. I think, well, re-election is a whole other ball game. You know, it, it would certainly seem like he doesn't have the numbers to win there either, but he also has uh, more than $18 million in the bank and the election is more than a year away, or I guess the primary is less than a year away, but maybe he's entertaining thoughts of still running that. That seems kind of out there to me but um but it, i think probably first things first he is probably trying to stave off um this impeachment yeah i mean at this point as we've seen in the numbers right like most of cuomo's allies have abandoned him you know the president of the united states has called for him to resign in addition to the speaker of the house the entire new york you know delegation um, in congress and so that just he is alone in this island where i think right like it has to be at this point can he avoid impeachment can he just finish out his term because in that marist poll we were talking about earlier you know 78 percent of new yorkers said it's time for a new governor it really doesn't seem as if um, re-election is on the table for him in 2022 yeah that number jumped out at me too sarah normally we don't like to pay attention to things like that because or like questions like that because it allows people to fantasize about kind of their ideal governor candidate. So in a question like that, maybe a Democrat would be like, oh, yes, I do want a new governor, someone more progressive. And maybe a Republican would be like, I do want a new governor, a, you know, Republican. But 78%, once you get up to that number, you know, that really shows that the the number of Cuomo loyalists in New York State, and again, this is just one poll, but it really implies that that number is is rapidly dwindling. The other thing in that poll, right, was like the severity of what Cuomo had done was kind of, you know, up for debate in terms of was it unethical? Was it actually criminal? But only 7% thought he hadn't done anything wrong. So right, there seems to be kind of this broad consensus of what he did was unacceptable. And New Yorkers are ready for a new governor. All right, I want to put this in a little more context in terms of historical scandals and how both parties feel about sexual harassment and sexual misconduct allegations in politicians. But first... Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Looking back at scandals that previous politicians have faced, Nathaniel, you mentioned Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, who very much rebounded from his scandal um, earlier in his administration. Are there any other historical parallels here? And how do these kinds of things shake out? I mean, I'm trying to think of 
a case where an entire party basically has turned against a politician, but the person hasn't resigned. Uh, I mean, is this maybe is it is the comparable thing like the tail end of the 2016 campaign after the Access Hollywood tapes where Trump kind of didn't step aside? Give us some historical context to understand what's going on right now. I keep a database of office holders who uh, encounter scandal. And what a great database to keep track of. It's, uh, yeah, it can be uh, interesting. There are some uh, creative scandals, um, you know, as well as obviously some extremely disturbing ones like this one. But so in this database, since the beginning of the Trump era, uh, we have tracked 57 federal or statewide politicians, not including quote, quote, actually. So this is 57 kind of who have had, um, you know, their situation's been resolved, so to speak. 57 politicians have faced scandal and only 12 of them resigned. So it's actually not uncommon for politicians to try to tough it out. The caveat there is that it doesn't necessarily mean that they recover. A lot of those people retire or they lose reelection. Um, you know, Nate, Nate has done research that has found that scandals, um, you know, take a, a significant amount of support off of kind of shave a significant amount of support off of your reelection campaign. And of course, you know, I, I do think, you know, Northam is a pretty good example of someone who was able to tough it out. That said, when you look specifically at allegations of sexual misconduct or unwanted sexual advances, the resignation rate is higher, seven out of 14. But that's also a very broad category. And it goes um, from everything from inappropriate Facebook messages to allegations of rape. So, you know, it's hard to necessarily say, um, it's hard to pick out an exact parallel, I think, for Cuomo. Um, It is worth mentioning, you know, everybody does talk about Northam, um, not as many people talk about Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, who was accused as one of these people who was accused of rape, and he didn't resign either. He did end up running for governor and lost terribly. Um, so I certainly wouldn't say that he weathered the scandal. Um, but he was able to stay in office at least. Yeah, also, I mean, some of the context for that Virginia nesting doll of scandals was somewhat unique in that the governor, lieutenant governor and attorney general had something of a suicide pact because they were all facing some kind of scandal at the same time. And if all three of them resigned, then a Republican would have become governor of Virginia and Democrats didn't want that. So they kind of, in some sense, accepted the circumstances and moved on. Yeah. One other interesting thing, I think, from the data Nathaniel's collected is, you know, in 2018, he wrote an article that kind of touched on how we were in a period where sexual misconduct allegations were signaling kind of an unprecedented cultural moment when it came to resignations. Like more people had, you know, resigned in that six month period than in the previous five years, right? I do think though, given the long history of Me Too in this country, like, you know, roughly two years of it being on a national stage, we have started to see kind of a backlash to it that while yes, the share of Americans who think sexual harassment is more of a serious issue in the workplace. Um, And this concern has especially grown around among Democrats. You know, Gallup polling found 80% of Democrats think it's a serious issue versus 62% of the population. But the problem is like sexual harassment, as Nathaniel was getting at, it's, it's really common. And the severity of it is often then up for debate to some extent as well. When you have someone who is like Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein forcing women to have sex with him, is that as bad as when a boss makes a creepy comment about your appearance? 
it's a false equivalence that we have to have these debates, but it's politics that comes up. And I think that is something, you know, you were said earlier, Galen, that we saw that with the Hollywood access tape, you know, Trump was trying to deflect that it was locker room talk. Um, it's something taken out of context. I think Cuomo is trying to play with that playbook now. You know, Justin Fairfax, he did not have to resign from office. There were obviously extenuating circumstances there. But there was also, you know, at the height of Me Too, kind of this thought that Franken shouldn't have resigned from office for um, allegedly groping a woman. They said that, you know, in retrospect, maybe that was too harsh of a punishment. Now, a lot of that was, you know, within... Democratic circles kind of whispering after the effect, but there does seem to be a question of how much Americans want to hold accountable elected leaders and when they can do it. Now, New York's a very blue state. Democrats, as I said, are very much against sexual harassment. They're not willing to vote for politicians who have had charges of sexual harassment, definitely in comparison to Republicans. But there does seem to be this tension of how far are voters actually willing to hold a politician accountable? Yeah. And in terms of parallels, I was just looking through the list and and one that jumped out at me also is former Missouri Governor Eric Greitens, who was also accused of rape um, and also lost the confidence of his state legislature, which he had actually had a bad relationship with, but they were also Republicans just like Greitens was. Um, And I believe they were moving forward with impeachment and he preemptively resigned as well. So that could be a prologue to what we're seeing now. Um, But another interesting aspect about this case is that Greitens is now um, only about four years after he resigned, is now running for Senate in Missouri and based on very preliminary polling appears to be the front runner. Probably a lot of that is name recognition, but but it's a very real possibility that he will win that race. Um, So So even if somebody resigns, uh, you know, your political career isn't necessarily over. So, you know, I'm not to say that I think Cuomo will run for Senate in the future. Um, I mean, he could, but, you know, it, it just goes to show, I think, all the different possibilities that are in play. Yeah, we've alluded to kind of two divides here that I want to talk about a little bit more. Like one, is there a divide between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in terms of how seriously voters or lawmakers take these accusations? Do we see that in polling in terms of how seriously respondents say they take, you know, sexual harassment or misconduct allegations? And then there's another perhaps divide here, which is between lawmakers and voters. And I think this maybe came up with the Al Franken situation. I saw a poll from the Star Tribune in Minnesota that found that a plurality of Minnesota voters did not think Al Franken should have resigned. However, there were many of his colleagues in the Senate were calling on him to resign. And this is, in this poll in particular, a majority of the respondents did believe that he had sexually harassed multiple women, but a plurality still didn't think he should resign. So, in this broader picture of how we deal with these kinds of accusations and misconduct in politics, where are the dividing lines? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think it's always more nuanced than people will tend to make it out to be. I think party is one. I want to 
maintain the nuance there. But, you know, just looking at the polling. So Sarah mentioned earlier this Gallup poll that found that 80 percent of Democrats viewed uh, sexual harassment as a major problem. That number was only 39 percent among Republicans. That said, I do think that it's so important to note the seriousness part here. I think a lot of Republican politicians who have faced um, very serious allegations uh, of sexual misconduct, such as rape and sexual assault, have resigned, um, such as Greitens. Obviously, there's an asterisk that he might return to office. Um, I also think President Trump, uh, former President Trump, is an obvious exception to that as well. But it is worth noting that I think those pressures are still there. And then I think another um, kind of dividing line is, as you mentioned, Galen, the kind of the politicians versus the public. Um, And I think that that comes down to a lot of the time well, I mean, I'm specifically, I guess, thinking of Cuomo in this instance, but Cuomo's base is is voters of color and within the Democratic Party, um, like kind of the, you know, woke college educated white set of people have a very fraught relationship with him. You know, these are the types of voters who preferred Cynthia Nixon and Zephyr Teachout in past primary campaigns against Cuomo. And I do think that you know, the state legislators themselves are kind of disproportionately white, college educated and belong to these demographics, Um, you know, still, you know, to be clear, plenty of legislators of color and and people who had formerly been Cuomo allies are now calling on him to resign. But I do think that probably the the disproportionate demographics of the legislature and of the U.S. Senate in the case of Franken and stuff like that probably play into why you see politicians coming out in favor of resignations for a lot of the general public. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, especially in reference to Franken, is there was a real inflection point in 2018 and 2019 where the fallout in relation to issues of sexual harassment were swift. I don't think that that is quite the same anymore. And I think that goes back to sexual harassment in the workplace is really common. In 2018, NPR reported on a poll that found as many as 81% of women and 43% of men had experienced some form of sexual harassment during their lifetime. How do you weed that out? Um, And I think that is why we keep coming back to these questions of severity and why something like Cuomo's can be considered different than, you know, an allegation of rape. Um, It has been up till this point, allegations of sexual harassment. That said, though, you know, in terms of the dividing lines, earlier, I referenced the idea that Democrats are not willing to vote for an elected official who had been accused of sexual harassment. 60% said that in a PRI poll. And this was following the Brett Kavanaugh hearing in the lead up to the 2018 midterms while 56% of Republicans said they would vote for a candidate who had faced accusations of sexual harassment. And, you know, at the time when we were covering the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, our colleague Perry Bacon had written this article about how one way in which Republicans tried to rescue Kavanaugh's nomination was about making Me Too a liberal movement. And I think as Nathaniel was getting at, a liberal white woman movement to some extent as well. And so there's this dynamic then of how much should we believe women? And that is an incredibly thorny, hard thing to pull. And there is no one clear right answer, but there does seem to be a backlash bubbling up to Me Too, or at least the ability for politicians like Cuomo to try to push back and say, you know, what they're accusing me of, um, I didn't do. Kind of almost similar to some of the accusations Biden faced on the campaign trail about being too familiar with women. It's this really complicated debate of what kind of behavior 
behavior is acceptable in the workplace. And it's troubled by the fact that it is just so common, 80%. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting coming off of the Trump era when, of course, there were many accusations against former President Trump. There were the Kavanaugh hearings, which were very public and very fraught. You know, historically, looking back at polling over the past several decades, we see that Republicans, conservatives have traditionally had kind of like higher standards for personal conduct and morality and ethics from their politicians. At least we see that in the polling. That kind of changed a little bit. I'm curious, like during the Trump era, but I'm curious how much of this has to do with partisanship in the sense that, okay, you see that someone from your party is at risk of losing their job over an accusation. And so you kind of change your views a little bit because partisanship is maybe more important than some of those more intangible um, values or whatever. Um, I mean, maybe partisanship is intangible too, but you know, we'll save that for another day. Or is it something more rooted in who the actual voters are in each party, such in the sense that there are more women in the Democratic Party who vote for Democrats than vote for Republicans, for example. Like, is how much of this is partisanship and how much of this is truly because the parties are different? Yeah, Galen, I think that's a really interesting question. And we'd have to look at the crosstabs of polls, for example, to compare Democratic men to Republican men and Democratic women to Republican women. Um, But I definitely think that partisanship has to play a role. I think that it's impossible to divorce these polls from the context in which they are conducted. When during the Trump era, when a Republican hears a poll that says, would you still vote for a candidate who is accused of sexual misconduct? Um, They will you know, I think they do hear, you know, would you vote for Donald Trump because they're aware of these allegations. Um, And I do think that you have um, kind of a similar situation among Democrats, although it's not as severe. I think that Republicans tend to really remain loyal to a candidate who is accused of um, sexual misconduct. Um, And Democrats, uh, I believe during the kind of Al Franken situation, um, I recall there being a poll that found Democrats were basically split on whether he should resign or not. Yeah. And I think there's definitely a gender aspect to this as well. You know, when you ask Americans how serious of a problem sexual harassment is, you know, 79% of women versus 55% of men say it's a major problem, right? And we know that women over-index within the Democratic Party. So that is helping to drive some of this as well. But I think given the way in which sexual harassment played a huge factor in Kavanaugh's nomination, this issue is increasingly politicized as well. Like on that question of voting for a politician um, who had been accused of sexual harassment, that PRI poll I'd referenced earlier actually did split it down by gender as well. And only 19% of Democratic men and 14% of Democratic women said they would vote for um, a candidate who had been accused of multiple accusations of sexual harassment, whereas 61% of Republican men and 48% of Republican women said the same. Now, I do think, you know, you need to take that in the context of that following right after the Kavanaugh hearing. Perhaps if it had been a high profile Democrat on the political stage, we would see some differences there. That said, though, you know, poll after poll after poll does show that when you ask about whether or not sexual harassment is a major problem, Democrats are more likely to say that it is than Republicans. So clearly, partisanship is an important factor here. Yeah, in some ways, you know, this is this is also an issue that has become part of the culture wars that divide yes. the the two parties. Um, you know, 
understanding that there is also partisanship involved. And in many cases, that partisanship makes it kind of harder to have maybe a more clear-eyed debate about what is and isn't acceptable, you know, from politicians because partisanship takes over and, and so on and so forth. Coming back to Cuomo in particular, it's Wednesday. Tuesday was overwhelmingly the Democratic Party told the governor to resign. What do we think happens in the coming weeks or days? Well, as I think Nathaniel kind of established at the outset here, you know, the question now centers on impeachment, right? You know, both the state assembly speaker and the state Senate majority leader have suggested that there is willpower um, for impeachment. And so will that process kick off? Will Is Cuomo and his aides working behind the scenes to kind of stop that? You know, and if Cuomo does resign or is impeached, um, it will also be history making in the sense that Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul is next in line to become governor. Yeah, and she would be the first female governor of New York, um, which would definitely be notable. Uh, yeah, I think that going into yesterday, my guess was that Cuomo was going to not resign, but also not run for re-election. I, th- I saw that as kind of the best face-saving move for him. Now, I, you know, call me crazy. It's kind of the boy who cried wolf situation, but uh, I do kind of think that he's going to resign. I think the pressure has gotten to be so high. Um, basically, everybody, every Democratic politician right up to the White House has now called on him to resign. It's not totally up to him anymore because you have the um, the legislature who that appears to be willing to impeach him. And I think that that is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So I feel like, you know, I'm not sure how long the impeachment process will take. So maybe Cuomo will try to hold on until it's absolutely certain that he's going to be removed. Um, but uh, I feel like in a matter of weeks, months, um, the um, he will resign. That's just my prediction, though. Just a prediction from an elections analyst at 538. It's a gut instinct, to be clear. There's not, uh, you know, we don't have a forecast model for resignations. All right, we'll leave things there for now. Of course, we will check back in. We might be back with an emergency podcast if the governor resigns. Although we've we've already, you know, regardless of what happens next, I think hopefully we provided some good context there for what's going on within the two parties and what the, the voters are thinking. Of course, there will be more polling and we can talk about that when it comes out. But for now, thank you, Sarah and Nathaniel. Thanks, Galen. Thanks, Galen. My name is Galen Druk. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room, and Emma Riley is our intern. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with any questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast Store, or tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.